itself given to by the ghost site where we take the big beautiful headlines of the great white way which is very very white and very very white and only continues to be white and we tell you why it matters to your uh, own little neck of the woods hi i'm ryan i'm cassie and cassie i have a question for you what's your question ryan when's the last time that you had to prepare a monologue for yourself well, I taught a monologue class, not last winter, but the winter before. And for that monologue class, I performed monologues for the students to demonstrate the category of monologue we were doing at the time. Sure, like you do. So that was the last time. Okay. Right. Because I haven't, I haven't auditioned for anything in a rip. Mm. And the Shakespeare that I was in earlier this year... I did an audition for I got begged to participate. Right. It's a so little I different. did I did have to prepare a monologue for that role, I suppose. But I don't yes, think that's but that what was, you're asking. That was in rehearsals. Right. Yes. No, I, I did mean like prepare an audition monologue. Because I have to do that right now. Uh they uh show I'm auditioning for here uh next week uh finally gave us like the directions for what they wanted. And they were like, Hey, we need a comedic monologue. And I was like, Oh no. I haven't done this in so long. I didn't have to do it for Streetcar. It was all cold reads. Yeah, I remember getting weirdly nervous about dusting off my college comedic monologues to do for these students. Mm-hmm. Sure do. Because sure do. I I what am I am in love with a one woman show named the called The Bell of Amherst, which is okay. a one woman show about Emily Dickinson. And it has such phenomenal monologue material in it. It's got comedic monologues. It's got dramatic monologues. It's got technically verse monologues because she recites a lot of her poetry. Sure, like you do. Um, Dickinson. So I I have pulled like five or six different monologues from that show at various points in my college okay. career. There you go. So what is your comedic monologue, Ryan? I got some advice from uh, a friend of the show, uh, Nicole Tuttle-Rob, because I needed a new one Mm because all of mine were like Shakespeare or they were, you know, like something I hadn't done in 10 years and I wanted something new. So uh, I have uh, Laughing Wild by Christopher Durang. uh, And there's just a whole bunch of monologues in the show. It's... um, like one scene is one person, another scene is another person that can get chopped up real well. So I've got a comedic monologue here about a guy getting hit by a bike. Cool. And how the glass is neither half empty nor half full. The glass is shattered by the bicycle. Makes sense. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I wish you all the very best of luck with that. Thank you. It's uh, it's the theater season. I cast Guys and Dolls last night. I'm going to audition for this. You're getting prepped for Matilda and... I wanted to say this live on mic because you don't know this. Ooh. I don't think. Uh, I will be directing a show for the Village Players this coming spring. I did not know that. Actually, I did know that. You mentioned this <laughs> earlier that you might do it. Yeah, it's the complete works of William Shakespeare, abridged, revised again, will uh, be performed here in Toledo. Fantastic. In April. So... I love that. We'll get to do that. That is going to be super fun. Yeah, so we are at all states and stages of our theatrical preparedness. Yes, we are. But, you know, in all of our various uh, projects that we're working on, 
we never have to worry about replacement casting. Well, I wouldn't go quite that far, Ryan. I have had to do some last minute performance substitutions for a few shows. I saw one, but it was a uh, an understudy going on, and then everybody going one roll to the left. Uh, yes, that was luckily when the role I had to replace had an understudy. I have also, um, in a couple different occasions, had to replace last minute with roles that didn't have an understudy. Delightful. You love to see it. Local theater at its finest. And let me tell you, my choices did cause some contention. Within the community of my cast. Did the show happen? It did. Was the show good? It was. Done. Yeah. But no, there were there were some actors who felt that they should have been chosen to replace the actor in question. It was a thing. We dealt with it. That's, it was fine. But that's what you, you want, though. You want everybody. You want all these different actors to want the the bigger role or the other role or the you want that you don't want people to go ah you know i really don't want to do that i don't think i can or i'm not ready or i don't feel up to it no but i also want them to be realistic about what they're able to take on and i need them to be in a place where not being asked to do that does not derail their ability to do the job that they're supposed to be doing. Speaking of the job they're supposed to be doing. Yes. Josh Groban has decided to stop doing his job. True. He has. Uh, he did He did make that decision. I'm not surprised he's been doing the role of Sweeney Todd for about a year, which tends to be about as long as the big name stars stay in roles like this. Sure is. Annalise leaving too, and uh, Gayton's gone now, and Jordan Fisher's been gone for a little bit now. I'm just glad that they could find the closest thing to Josh Groban that they could to replace him as Sweeney Todd on Broadway. And I'm so glad that we have finally Sondheim casting that's not controversial or divisive. What side of the internet have you been living on, Ryan? Uh, the incorrect side, apparently. So if you live under a rock. We talked about this last episode. We said that the rumors were strong about the replacement casting, but it has been confirmed now that the roles will be played by Sutton Foster and Aaron Tveit, and the internet is divided. Wildly divided. And look, I said it last episode. They are both incredibly talented performers. They are both capable of performing these roles. Mm. But I do not think that either of them are the best option to step into the roles. But I do understand they needed names of this caliber in order to keep this production afloat. Yes, Sondheim shows have never been known for their financial success. So you have to go with it that big a name. But I think that there were other big names that would have been better suited. And here's the thing. I can see Sutton as Mrs. Lovett more than I see Aaron as Sweeney. Sutton at least is a comedic actress. It is what she's known for. She eats up these comedy roles. I see yes. her as Mrs. Lovett 
far easier than I see her as Marion Peru in The Music Man, and she did that for a year. She did. Marion Peru is not a funny role. No, it's not. There's <laughs> zero humor to that character. There's no humor in that I was role or show. Kind of like huge eyebrows when her name was announced. I was really yeah. Sutton Foster for Marion Peru. Some, someone whose name could share the marquee with Wolverine. True. Again, stunt casting. I get it. But somebody put this very well that Sutton Foster is always on stage as Sutton Foster. She Correct. does not disappear into a role. We will be watching Sutton Foster play Mrs. Lovett. We will not be watching Mrs. Lovett. And then my issue with Aaron, everybody's issue with Aaron, everybody who has an issue, is that there are not many male leading roles on Broadway that are written for basses and baritones. Correct. Sweeney is one of them. Aaron is not a baritone. No, not at all famously not a baritone famously not a baritone and it is frustrating because joshua henry is right there sure is he's right there so broadway remains very 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 white that too because if sweeney todd is not white man that shows real different true i would like to see that production i would love to see that production joshua henry would do a great job norm lewis would do a great job yeah. And that's the thing with Sweeney is that you really can kind of go all over the place on the age. Yeah. Which is weird. He just has to have great. a grown up daughter so he can be whatever Mid-30s age. Mid-30s to however old. Yeah. Like, you can't be 21. Like, I get it. Yeah. I get why we have to, like, make money. And that's how Broadway works. And that's all that. Yes, 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 yes. There are other ways. From the capitalist perspective, I understand. From a performative perspective, I do not understand. I want to know what new ticket prices will be. Seriously. Because I tried to get tickets to see Hugh and Sutton in Music Man. I saw those numbers. They were large and expensive. And for the Music Man. And for the Music Man. I mean, come on. Like, listen. Music Man has a, a place in my heart. I played I played Widow Peru when I was in high school. I really enjoyed it. I have affection for the music man. I don't, so you can have that spot. <laughs> I However, did that I did it once. I directed it once. Never again. Did you direct Music Man Jr. though? I did Music Man Jr. Music Man Jr. is bad. <laughs> Listening to twelve year olds sing Pick a Little over and over and over and over is a separate circle of hell. Listen, I was in Music Man Junior. Okay, that was that was the Music Man I was in. It was the Junior it's not version. Great. It's not good. Um, it's also racist. Well, yes. Anyway, Sweeney Todd, I yeah want to know if we will be getting additional recordings. I think that's unlikely. Yeah, but if you put these two names on it, and with how TikTok works, you could get a song that's or two possible. songs. Yeah. And do it that way. I mean, I kind of wish for additional recordings because I do want to hear. Oh, absolutely. I want to hear how Aaron does this. I, I don't know how. I hope don't change keys for him. I'll be so mad. What are they going to do? Just raise the whole show three or four steps? I don't remember who at this point, but somebody made a really fascinating video about how Sondheim's intentionality 
in writing Sweeney as a baritone singing in the tenor range, like how that was very intentional. Because when you have a naturally lower voice and you have to go up and sing those notes, there's a healthy kind of strain in reaching them that underlines the character that you're not Mm going to have with a tenor in that role. And you're especially not going to have it if you raise the key. Absolutely not. On the other hand, I want to hear Aaron sing Joanna. Yeah. You know who else I would like to hear sing Joanna? But we're not going to because he's been cast in a different Broadway show. That's Grant Gustin. Grant Gustin in Water for Elephants, which the logo for this show, by the way, is so cool. It is. It's super cool. Uh, Dear listener, go uh, pause, pause. Go look it up. See, we told you. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Grant Gustin, Glee, uh, continues to take over Broadway. Um, he has had a brief de- detour since Glee as the Flash for <laughs> yes. like eight years. But he's got a nice voice, solid voice, and he's he's got a solid voice making his Broadway great. debut. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm not crazy about the music. They've released a well, couple songs, and I don't love yeah. the music. There's that. There is that. Like that is that's a problem. It feels like a musical that's not going to last very long. Yeah. Which kind of sucks. But on the other hand, uh, there's a halfway decent opportunity that yet another Glee star will get a Tony Award before Leah Michelle. Before Leah Michelle. Leah Michelle should replace Sutton Foster as Mrs. Lovett, clearly. Listen, I saw her play Fanny, and I didn't know she had the comedic chops that she had. She could do it. Worst pies in London out of Rachel Berry's mouth. has That's that's a weird thing to think about. We have also lost a show. Yes. Well, maybe. Because here's the thing. I assume you're talking about Corn Show for the win. I'm not, actually. You're not talking about Corn Show. Okay. Well, Corn Show. Corn Show. Is leaving, but they specifically said they're leaving the Nederlander Theater rather mm-hmm. than saying we're leaving Broadway, which is what shows usually say. So there is Mm -hmm. speculation that they're not actually leaving, leaving. They're just going to be shifting to a different location. Entirely possible. Uh, They've also announced the national tour. Yes. Set to begin uh, fall 2024. And I will go see Shucked on tour. Because I want to. Yeah, for sure. That sounds like fun. Corn show for the win. Corn show for the win. That sounds like a great time. Like, seriously. That sounds pretty good um but we did lose uh here lies love has announced it's closing it will end its run on november 26th after 33 previews and 149 regular performances the musical tells the story of imelda marcos as she goes from beauty queen to first lady of the philippines behind beside her husband the authoritarian ferdinand marcos it was decently well-received, but they never really found a total audience. Um, and unfortunately for everyone involved, it will probably go down as the show that caused controversy over uh, planning to use uh, pre-recorded music rather than live musicians because right. uh, they were trying to they were trying to make it a, a karaoke-type feel. Um, and eventually they did do some of that, and they also paid some musicians. So it was kind of a kind of a union win, but also... They did push the envelope a little bit there. Um, Well, they were attempting to do some more immersive things with Broadway mm -hmm. theater, which 
it's not even that I'd like to see more of it. It's that I'd like to see more success with it. And that lack of success is not on the shows. It's on the fact that Broadway is becoming super commercial. And so things that are unusual, out of the box, just aren't landing as successfully which is a bummer. I'm really interested to see what happens with this production of Cabaret that's transferring from the West End Yep. with Eddie Redmayne because they are, again, going for a more immersive theater experience by s- rearranging the theater so that it feels like you, the audience, are in the Kit Kat Club watching these performers. We'll see if it works or not. The same thing's happening with um, the Guys and Dolls across the pond as well mm-hmm. that revival so it, it is a lot more money up front because you have to renovate the theater differently yes so that is interesting but then there is a thought that you offset that by selling more concessions you know that's fair you know there's clearly thought that's gone into it and planning because when you're talking about this much money there has to be we'll see how all of that goes Along with that, uh, something interesting that is happening November 14th through 19th. Uh, So it will actually happen after this comes out, which will be great. If you are interested, you can watch Jaja's African Hair Braiding, the final week of performances on Broadway, um, will be live streamed. Each performance from November 14th to November 19th will be live streamed at uh, lolst.org, the League of Livestream Theater, partnering with the Manhattan Theater Club. Tickets are $69 for a stream, and it will be the uh, live stream of the show. They're not just recording one and showing it over and over. It'll be that show each matinee and evening for the last five or six days of that uh, show's run. So I hope this goes well. I hope this goes well, too, because... There's probably an audience for this. The audience is probably not in New York City, but I love the, hey, we're closing anyway. Why not try? I've heard some uh, complaints, I guess, about like the price of the tickets if it's quote unquote just a live stream. I guess I haven't compared to what tickets for a seat in the theater are because I agree that a live stream ticket should be less than the cheapest ticket that you're selling to go oh, see it's gotta it live. Be. Gotta be. But for Broadway, $69 very well, maybe. And someone else also made the point that if you're live streaming it, you can be seeing it with multiple people. So everybody can chip in for that. Fair. Yeah. If it's 69 bucks, three people sit down and watch it. It's, all of a sudden it's 23. Yeah. Right. Mezzanine back row seats are like 75 bucks with fees from broadway.com. Okay. Um, so cheaper than that. And then as you get closer and closer, it gets up to, you know, can range all the way yeah, up to of course. nearly $400 for prime orchestra seating. So it's interesting. We'll see how this goes. And we will, as always, keep you posted. Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. It's my hard segue. I had a softer segue to something else. All right. You do your softer segue and then I will hard segue to Neil Gaiman again. Something else that some Broadway shows are going to be trying out to see how it goes is earlier curtain times. Thank God. 
So most Broadway shows start at 8 p.m. And there are now some shows that are going to try a 7 p.m. start time instead. Although I know for a fact that this has been going on, at least in some capacity, because Chase and I almost missed the start of Wicked when we were in New York because I didn't double check the start time on my tickets. I was just like, it's a Broadway show. It starts at 8 Mm-hmm. And we got yeah. to the theater at 645 because we finished dinner. And I was like, well, we might as well go over. We'll be super early. But. And we and got it was at seven. And we got seated. And then like. They started and like doing the, the show will begin in 15 minutes. And I was like, what? And I was panicked with the realization that I was almost late to a Broadway show. I was so like preemptively embarrassed with myself. <laughs> That's entirely fair. There so, is so some people have no been doing terrible it. reason to do it at seven. I think they just need to do it at seven all the time, though, is the difference. Because then we can just know yeah. shows are at seven. Well, and and I think a 7 p.m. start time makes so much sense because shows on Broadway are long a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Sure are. And, on, and, and I saw it on a matinee day. So it's not even that you're making the argument of, oh, well, when there's a matinee and an evening show, the actors need time. In between, because they were already doing it for some of them. Now, that is fair. Like, if you do a two o'clock matinee, Mm -hmm. and that show runs two and a half hours, that's 4.30, out of costume, 4.45, maybe closing in on five o'clock, and you've got to turn around and make a six o'clock call. True. It is tight, and, you know, it is going to be a little hard on your voice. On the other hand, it's your job. Right. And, I mean... I work with kids. Our start time is always 7 p.m. Oh, absolutely. Because I have children. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, they're 12. The, the, they're, the they can start at 7. Time, the only time we have ever had a later start time is when we didn't realize that we scheduled Midsummer Night's Dream for the same weekend as the holiday tree lighting in Bowling Green. Sure. And half of my cast was in the Madrigals who sing at the tree lighting at 7 p.m., Yep, so they kind of had to be there. Yeah, so we pushed our start time to 8 so that they could literally sing at the tree lighting and walk a block and a half to our theater space in their madrigal, like, gowns and tuxes and change into costume for our show. You know what el- What other time has changed? What time has changed, Ryan? Starting time for the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade this year is That's a full true. half hour early. It's going to start at 8.30 a.m., so set and your clocks the... because you do not want to miss the Broadway performances that we will have a chance to see. Because last year, Leah Michelle did a jump scare on my television and Cassie missed it. I did. And I, I still don't understand how you missed that. But here we are. Uh, what are the chances that she does it again? Leah Michelle making a jump scare? Yeah. What are the chances that Leah Michelle opens the Macy's Parade two years in a row with Don't Rain on My Parade? I'm going to say low. But not zero. Not zero. Right? Not zero. Yeah. It's like infinitesimally small, but it's not zero. And that scares me. The performances that we do know about for sure from Broadway are And Juliet. Huzzah! Back to the Future, which I'm interested okay. to see. How to Dance in Ohio. Which I'm pretty excited about. Yep. Corn Show for the win. Corn Show. Which I'm also excited about. Spam a lot. And then it says Gutenberg stars will make a special appearance. I don't know what that means. 
if Josh Gad and Andrew Rannells aren't on the Sesame Street float, I'm going to riot. Either that or they take over the commentator's booth. That I, ooh, Let's do that. Let's do that. I want them to do that. Let's do that. Josh Gad. Okay, here's what it is. I'm going to call my shot right now. You ready? Yes. Josh Gad and Andrew Rannells in character selling their musical, trying to find a producer for their musical. Somehow, they have to pitch Al Roker. I love this. And I think this is feasible. It's entirely feasible. And also somehow Al Roker is writing a weird thing. Okay. Like he's on the back of the police motorcycle or he's in the sidecar of something or he's strangely positioned on the back of a float. Because he's done this a lot too. You heard I've, it here I've first, always watched the Macy's Parade. I have some insider information. Al Roker to uh, make a very, very good TikTok with Josh Gad and Andrew Rannells. The more I see on TikTok from Gutenberg, the more desperately I want to go see this show. It looks like so much fun. It looks like so much fun. They got Sarah Bareilles. I saw to do it. Yeah, uh, it's great. You know, it doesn't look fun, but that I'm also excited about. Neil Gaiman? <laughs> you're trying so hard with Neil Gaiman. I don't even know where you're going with that. I was going to mention the Merrily We Roll Along cast recording that we've now been been promised. Well, he did die, so we do have to get updated cast recordings of all of the Sondheim shows. For a second, I thought you meant Neil Gaiman, and I was going to freak out on you because I hadn't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman is not, not dead. dead. No, that is not the hard pivot. Now i got to keep all the Neil Gaiman jokes in here. That's fine. I'm good with it. But <laughs> here we are. Title of the episode, Neil Gaiman is not dead. <laughs> Just reassure everybody. That's absolutely the title now. Because he's not allowed to die before he finishes Good Omen season three. <laughs> Do we have a merrily date for that cast recording? Uh, not that I saw, which doesn't mean there isn't one. We've got a lot of dates coming up because we got the Prince of Egypt pro shot. We've got oh, the Waitress pro shot. Which you can watch the first handful of minutes have been released now for the Waitress Pro Shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Mean Girls movie musical in January. Oh, more casting information that we didn't talk about. And Color Purple, too. More casting. More casting. Do you know who's going to appear in Moulin Rouge? I do, but you know what my answer is? Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman to Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Boy George. What a pull that was. Yeah. I went back in time about 20 years when I saw that, but they got JoJo to do it. So mm-hmm. it kind of tracks. Like, I'm here for this stunt casting because it's stunt casting, but it's also like we're going to pull some folks out of retirement or reboot some careers or figure these things out and they're going to just crush it. But then they turn around and they get Titus Burgess to go on. It's also a jukebox musical of a lot of pop music. So it helps. That's true. Okay, Ryan. What about Neil Gaiman? Neil Gaiman. Is not dead. Is not dead. Neil Gaiman to perform a one-man dramatic reading of For Two Nights Only at the Town Hall, December 18th and 19th. Neil Gaiman will play Charles Dickens for two nights in a dramatic reading of A Christmas Carol. Oh, I love that. Uh, this is not the first time he's done this. No, it doesn't Apparently, seem like it he would did be. This 10 years ago for the New York Public Library and the audio of that event became the most popular and most downloaded event in the library's history. Phenomenal. I adore that. 
So, yeah, so we're doing this. Uh, the reading will be introduced by author and broadcaster Molly Oldfield, and he's just going to go ahead and do this whole thing. Sweet. It's going to be great. Uh, tickets are on sale now, two days in December. Congratulations, Neil Gaiman. Is Town Hall on Broadway, or is that off-Broadway? I think that's, that's off-Broadway. has got to be off, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's not Tony Awards. What is the best thing that you've seen to go with Wicked 20? Oh, good question. And why is it the Glinda Belt choice that the, TikTok the is Glinda, fascinated by? The Glinda Belt choice is very good. It just broke me. The first yeah. time I heard it, it broke me, and I can't get it out of my head. And then I... you watch a couple of people like break down what it means for the mm-hmm, character mm-hmm. for when Glinda chooses to belt and when she chooses to sing the sweet innocent notes and very head voice then it broke me a little bit more yeah and I think it just leads to that very interesting conversation you and I had a couple weeks back of replacements coming in and at what point are you doing your own thing and how far can you go to make changes and how much do you have to stick with the original performance and that was a great example of this one little choice and how you're performing this that does make it your own my favorite part of wicked 20 was born out of that but is not specifically related to wicked 20 which is just we need to create the buzzfeed quiz that tells you if you are a tells you what kind of alphabet, what kind of Glinda you are. So one of the questions that you'll frequently see people asking Alphaba and Glinda is, are you for Alphabas, are you a wizard and I defying gravity or no good deed Alphaba? Basically meaning like which of her three main songs is the one that you hook your entire interpretation of the character on. Sure. Yes. As a listener and as a, a storyteller myself, I'm a no good deed alphabet. Like that is her linchpin song for me. I would agree with that. I think defying gravity gets all the hype because that's what they did for the Tonys. Yeah. And it's the act one closer. She flies and all that. Like there's good reasons for it. No good deed is the whole point. Yeah. I agree with that. And then for Glinda, it's popular. And thank goodness, and another one. It's thank goodness. Is it's, the answer. it's thank goodness is the answer. So this moment that we're answer. talking about specifically comes out of thank goodness. I also really liked the uh, promotional picture with Kristen and Adina in the bathtubs, in the pink and green bathtubs. Somebody had to stand up in a boardroom and pitch that, mm-hmm. and then everyone said yes. And then Adina and Kristen's teams heard about it and didn't say no. And they said, hold on, we'll check. How many people did this have to go through before it even got to Adina and Kristen? And then they were like, absolutely, we're doing that. Yeah. Love it. I I love hearing both of them talk about what a formative experience it was for them to be part of Wicked. Because they were both really young. Mm -hmm. And... It's not that they weren't household names when they did Wicked, because Adina had been in Rent. Kristen had already done Charlie Brown, at and that Kristen point. had done Charlie Brown. But I, I do feel like Wicked kind of launched them. But without uh, Alphaba, Adina doesn't become Elsa. That's very true. And that's worked out pretty well for her. It sure has. 
some tough casting decisions. You hear about the, all the people who you know auditioned for Wicked, right? Twenty mm-hmm. years ago, they auditioned, and you know how they didn't get it, and how this and this, and if the world had just been a little bit different. Um, I cast a show last night. Um, I cast Guys and Dolls Junior for Mommy Middle School, and it was very strange for me because I cannot remember the last time I walked into callbacks not knowing who I thought my leads were going to be but like it was like really an open competition and like I don't know like I I could guess but I don't know right now and then two and a half hours later I walked out of callbacks and couldn't immediately cast it like I had to sit down and talk through it with the team and figure it out and make some decisions and make some very hard decisions and it was it was weird like in a good way but weird yeah, I've had a couple shows like that where it's just the pool of talent in front of me is so big mm. and so equal. Yeah. Um, and I have had a show very similar to that where I went into when we did 13 with Horizon, I went into callbacks with 18 kids with no idea which 13 of them were going to be in the show and which one was going to play which part. And I had mm-hmm. this massive chart of like, I want to see this person read with this person. And then we're going to swap out this person. And then we're going to swap out this person. And we did like the same scene eight times just with eight different combinations of actors. And I think it's fun. It's a little stressful, but I also think that that piece of it is really fun. Yes. To be clear, I think Callbacks Night is my favorite single night of the show process i can agree with that honestly read through is a whole thing the sing through is a whole thing opening night is always magical of course you know auditions are always fun you know off book day the first day that you feel like the show finally it comes together like those are all good days for different reasons but the night of callbacks is like to me like the most pure form of Let's just see what we can do, right? It's everyone here knows that they're they're good. Everyone here knows that they want it, and everyone here is gonna put their very best foot forward to get what they want. And let's just see what happens. It's very pure in a lot of ways, and mm-hmm. and for me, part of my process with like, hey, we're gonna do this same scene six times in a row, just with different people in different combinations is really an invitation of show me how you're putting your stamp on this. You've seen all these other people do it. Mm-hmm. You have probably read this role already once, but now you have a different person opposite you. How are you feeding off of them? How is that influencing your choices? My favorite thing to do, it freaks the kids out, is to just have them go stand in front of me in a line and have them like, you two switch places. You two swap swap <laughs> over there. <laughs> rearrange in this order and they're always like what are you looking for the answer is height i'm looking to see what you look like standing next to other people in combinations yeah yeah and there's nothing you can do about that actors you are you look like what you look like you know we can put a wig on you we can't add six inches sorry deal and i have literally helped to cast shows where height was the determining factor 
It absolutely is sometimes. We figured it out. I won't get super specific because, you know, it all just happened. But we figured it out, and I'm, I'm ultimately happy with the cast list we have. This is also the first time in, I don't even, in a while that I cast everyone who auditioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I had 35. Okay. And no one needed to be uh, blacklisted, and there were no behavioral issues, and 35 was about what I was looking for. I was probably looking for more like 30 or 32. Usually two or three will drop from the show once they realize the rehearsal schedule or conflicts or whatever. So it ends up about right. I had a short list for who I thought my the four leads would be, especially with something like Guys and Dolls where there are only seven people that have solos. Right. It is a very different show, especially for the juniors because the juniors, they really try to spread the wealth around as much as they can. And they didn't do it with Guys and Dolls. They could have, but they didn't know that they needed to do it because it's one of the first junior shows that they did. Like, Into the Woods, just act one. Guys and Dolls, we're going to figure this out. And then a couple shows later, they went, oh, hey, maybe we should do it a different way. And that's how we got to the junior shows we have today. But eventually got there. But I had probably three, four students that showed up and just absolutely blew me away for the audition and this is the part that I, the first thing that I think I'd like to pick your brain about here is when do you know if the student just had a really good audition, but you aren't sure if they can keep that up for the entire rehearsal process and the performance? At what point do you think this that I saw today from you was really good and I don't think it can get better? I think it depends on whether or not I've worked with the student before. Sure. Because we had a situation, this was several years ago now with with Horizon, um, where we were doing Peter Pan. And this little girl came in. She was like eight or nine years old. Blew us away for Tinkerbell. Mm -hmm. Her audition for Tinkerbell was phenomenal. We're like, yes, perfect. That. Cast her in a heartbeat. Get into rehearsals. And all of that audition magic is gone. It's like a different child in front of us. And we're like, what is happening? Like, where is the spunk and the sass that we, you know, cast her for? And nothing we say can, like, pull it out of her. And we just kind of throw our hands up and we're like, well, okay. And then opening night happened. And all of a sudden, the audition Tinkerbell was back. Okay, that's good. And it's like. Scary, but good. Yeah, just needed an audience. And so knowing that about this person informed you know the way that i would cast her in the future Mm -hmm. so i think it depends on if i if i've worked with them before if i kind of know the extent of what they're capable of most often i find myself dealing with the opposite though of (laughs) the person comes in and they don't give a good audition Mm -hmm. but i've worked with them and i know what i can pull out of them i know what they're capable of yeah Yeah, I definitely feel that way a little bit more. Really, I could have cast this show like five or six different ways, and we just kind of landed on where we landed on because I needed to know what we were getting in these roles and that based on past past shows, past behavior during rehearsals, how seriously people did or didn't take previous shows, can we trust you with this gigantic role? Mm -hmm. Because Guys and Dolls, there's four roles, and then there's everybody else. 
And it's a lot of lines. It's a lot of rehearsal time. And it's a big dedication and commitment. And I just don't want to get caught up going, well, I know what you did last year. You can't have gotten that much better, Mm -hmm. actually gotten that much better. Because the whole point of youth theater is that they get better. Yeah. Year to year and show to show. It's a real sticky wicket. It's a real hard yeah, thing. Yeah, it like, certainly can be. Especially when I only have these kids for three years. Yeah. Right? So, like, I, I w- like watch these kids go from sixth grade where, you know, maybe they have some talent or you can see that they are going to be able to figure it out. Like, you know, once their voice changes or once they get some experience, on them, they're going to be okay. They're going to figure it out. They're going to be good. And you work and you work. And then by the time they get to eighth grade, it's like, okay, you're ready to do this now. And then I'll send you off to wherever you're going. But then you get some kids that it's like, okay, I don't know if you're going to figure it out or not. I don't know if you're figuring it out or not. And then, oh, you're an eighth grader. And wow, that was an amazing audition. And if I don't give you a role right this second, I will never be able to give you a role again. Yeah. And I don't I don't typically have to deal with that. I, I have kids all the way through high school. I think what I run into more often is that fear, but because a child is unknown. Because, like, they're brand new. I've never worked with them before. And they come in and they give me, like, a fantastic audition. But I don't know. Is yeah, this going to maintain? If, yeah. Like, is this going to maintain? Which is where uh, what I call the director's creed comes in. Which is, I will go. Biggest piece of advice that I have for anybody who does community theater. If you think directors do not ask other directors about what you are like to work with (laughs) you are so drastically misinformed um Mm -hmm. i helped i helped cast this project Mm -hmm. for horizon it's a really quick turnaround it's just a staged reading it's something we're throwing together because an outside group asked us to give them a short little something for this festival so we didn't audition it we just had people volunteer and um i know the show really well because I helped write it. And so I said I would help cast this. And so we got a list of these are the people who volunteered for it. And all but one were people that I knew. And so I was like, great, I've worked with this person. I know I, where I can put them in the show. But this this unknown is here. And I don't know who this unknown is. I don't know what this unknown is capable of. But I got a little bit more information on where this kid had done other things. And he had done roles up at CTW, which Ah. is Children's Theater Workshop, where um, our good friend Patrick is a director. Mm -hmm. And one of the credentials that this kid had listed was a show that Patrick had directed. And the very first thing that I did was whip out my phone, send Pat a message, go, hey, tell me about this kid. What is this kid like? And you know... That all the other directors are going to answer because it's oh, yeah. either because it's either that kid's great, you should work with that kid, or don't touch it with a template pole. And I've done that with you too, with a show Absolutely. in our last season. I had a gateway kid come and audition for the first time, and I immediately mm-hmm. sent you a message. I was like, "Tell me about this kid." Yep. Yep. Tell me about your experience with this kid because I need to know. Yep. It's just how this goes. Directors talk to one another. Like this is the thing I have to impart to all of these kids like if you think i do not share information if you think i will not tell another director about your behavior at the drop of a hat oh it's gonna happen no friend oh it, it happens 100%. all the time all the time 
one more thing about Guys and Dolls that I did want to say uh, as far as casting goes. I have a girl playing Sky. Okay. This will be interesting. It sure will. Sure will because uh, I mean we're gonna have to, I'm gonna have to stage this very carefully, but there are two kisses. Ooh. So we're gonna see how this goes. I saw a high school show recently at our local art school, where presumably they take theater a little more seriously. I think so, probably. And they copped out on the kiss at the end, the big dramatic kiss that the whole show leads up to. They had the girl hold up a a big gift bag in front of their faces for the kiss. And I was mad. That's unfortunate. I was mad. If you're going to do a show with high school specifically that has kisses in it and you're an art school, it can be a stage kiss, but do the kiss. Yeah. It's the whole point. And uh, these kisses and guys and dolls are plot. So yeah. can't get around them. So I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to solve that particular problem yet. So That's fair. we'll see. It's we'll harder. See. It's harder with middle school. I will say I haven't had to jump that hurdle with middle school. And it is also um, a more conservative public school district. True. Very true. I know the two actresses have already said that they're good with it. Right. However. It might not be up to them or me. While their input should be the only and most important piece, the reality Mm -hmm. is that it frequently is not. It is frequently not. So... Uh, more to come there, yeah. as I'm sure, well, in the coming weeks and months. And that's why I am always really upfront in the shows that I direct. But again, I don't direct for a school, so I don't have to go through as many hoops. But mm-hmm. the shows I direct for, if there's kissing in it, I'm very clear in the audition packet. Like, these roles have onstage kisses, and they will be real kisses. And if you are not comfortable with that, you need to be honest with me about it. Because I will not put you in a position where you're uncomfortable. But you will have to do this. But you will have to do this or you will not be in consideration for this part. Yeah. You theater's weird. You theater's weird. Trying to, like, give direction to teenagers about kissing is the weirdest part of my job, hands down. Absolutely. The weirdest part. I feel so uncomfortable about it. It is. Like, without question. Yeah. It is. I have not had to do that in a while. Yeah. Well, and Which I put I'm not mad about. I put kiss day on the calendar just like off book day. Like you're supposed to. I put kiss Keep day like this is the day when the kissing has to actually be real. I give them the option of doing it for the first time with no other cast members around if you want it to just be with me when we're on that scene for the first time, we can do that. Sure. Like whatever your comfort level is. But that's an interesting part of my job. We are certainly never bored. No. Thank you so much for coming along with us for this episode of By the Ghost Light. We hope you've learned something or stuck with us the whole thing or maybe uh, considered your own directing process and are obviously going to change your ways now because we know best. Of course we do. Why else? Without we, question. We have a podcast, Ryan. We have to know what we're talking about. Shh, don't tell anybody. 
We are part of the Ghostlight Media Network. Uh, without uh, the support of the Patreon over there, uh, this show would not exist. Uh, so thank you to everyone over there. And uh, if you're on the Discord, uh, get at us and let us know. Um, we got some holiday-themed episodes coming up. We also got to jump back into High School Musical, the musical, the series, episode two for the Patreon as well. That's true. And it's it's Christmas season, which means we get to rewatch Spirited. We get to rewatch Spirited. I have already decided that episode will be called uh, Spirited Away. Beautiful. Done. It's going to be a good time. Well, thanks so much for coming along with us. My name is Ryan. My name is Cassie. And join us next time by the Ghost Light. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.